Amen. Good morning. Those of you who were not at the first service <clears throat> missed in the middle of the service. Uh, we had a woodpecker that decided that he would make a lot of noise. And I, I just wished I was quicker. Tom got up to go get it. And I was going to say, Tom, are you not familiar with the verse that God is knocking at the door of your heart? And he thought, <laughs> didn't get there in time. Well, here we are continuing in the Sermon on the Mountain. Uh, and uh, a reminder that it's very, very important that we do not take, especially in this series uh, of the verses, and take a verse and try to have it stand isolated and have it stand alone. You can come away with some very gross interpretations, some very uh, skewed interpretations if you don't take the whole picture. It's extremely important to get a whole picture that's going on. And so I want you to kind of take a journey with me uh, and go back here and begin to take a peek at these disciples, where they were, and uh, some of the things that were not yet revealed to them. Uh, Jesus told them in uh, John 14 and John 16 that he would leave them the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit would come. And he would then bring to remembrance all these things that Jesus had said, and they would make a lot more sense and become fully, or at least closely understood. But at this time, there was a confusion, and I can see why. I'm not sure that any of us are much different than them. They, they really had their eyes set upon this world to live in this kingdom, to have all the things that were being offered in this kingdom, and and as you saw the progression of Jesus' life as he walked and, and brought all the different miracles that came to being, that they became more and more excited to think, wow, this is it, that we are going to have a king that feeds us, we don't have to work, that heals us if we get sick. That, I mean, this is just incredible. And even, even saw later on that he would even raise the dead if they were dead or if a storm came, he would calm the seas. And, and so it's interesting that we come to this place in our passage, in our scripture, and see that uh, Jesus is going to say something to them that I think we can kind of see where they were and what they might have understood. But we have the, the uh, foreknowledge uh, of looking back and seeing uh, the whole picture a little bit more. And uh, yet I think sometimes we're still... Uh, falling to some of the same things that they fell to. And we're going to be looking at, uh, starting with the verses in Matthew 5, verses 10, 11, and 12. Uh, last week, Ben uh, opened up with uh, verse 10. And uh, I think if you remember that, that when we begin to preach today or begin to listen today, that don't forget what was shared last week. Last week, it talks about a persecution that is coming. And this persecution, uh, if you remember, Ben was saying, is, is mostly internal. It is internal uh, because the enemy is behind the persecution. And the enemy works very strongly in your mind, in the belief systems that you and I hold. And uh, that our wrestle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against these powers, these rulers and principalities. It also says that although we walk in the flesh, our warfare is not according to the flesh. 
but they're for tearing down these strongholds, these belief systems that have raised themselves up against the Word of God and the knowledge of God. And so we have an in, internal war going on. And I, would, and, I, and I have to say that I think as we go in even to the experience of the external things, I would wager, I don't know if you would too, Ben, but majority of the pain, majority of the suffering that we even experience on the external uh, tribulations and sorrows is because we have an incorrect belief system in our mind still going on. Because if our belief system is healthy, I mean, I was thinking of the song that if, if we really knew there was one standing next to me in this fire, these things don't carry the punch that they have if we think we're all alone. So don't forget that this really is going to be dealing a lot with your mind, a lot with the things that you and I believe. We hope in some way that when we open up the word together that we can start unfolding the truths of the word that allow us to have these circumstances and have these persecutions and things that come in at least a, a more appropriate place. So if you would read with me, we're going to look at Matthew 5, verses 10, 11, and 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice, be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And again, we're going to look at Luke chapter 6, another uh, place in Scripture where the sermon is talked about. He said, blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil. On account of the Son of Man, rejoice in that day, leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so they are fathers did to the prophets. And then in John 15, verses 8 through 20, it says, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. And if you were of the world, the world would love you and its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Now, here's, here's a, something that I think is important to see. Uh, these guys were familiar with the Torah. They had the five books of the Old Testament. They had uh, read some of the words of Job, of, of uh, Solomon. And they were aware that in this world, they're just tribulation. Solomon says uh, that the, the storm falls on the godly, the righteous, and the unrighteous. Uh, riches come to both the poor and the, righteous, or the rich. And he, he goes through and says, don't be so surprised when things happen. And, and yet, there's a lot of different things that, that occur that can cause different types of trials and different types of suffering. One, we live in a fallen world. We live in a world where there's no longer the way it was designed. And because of man in his own choices to be independent and act independent of God, man was left then with the consequences of sin in this world. And there's just trials that come because of that. There are trials also that come because you and I make 
poor choices, stupid choices. And then we experience pain and then we're wondering why we're in such pain. And God's given us fair warning. There are those trials that come upon you. In Philippians, Paul was talking about the circumstances that came on him. He didn't choose those. They just came on him and those circumstances come. There are different types of trials and different types of suffering. So he is letting these disciples who at the time thought, wow, what a God. We've got a God that's going to that's gonna go ahead and just save us from all this stuff. And he basically gives them a little bit of, it sounds like bad news until you get and understand the depth of what he's saying. No, you're not going to be pulled out of the fact that there's going to be trials in this world. As a matter of fact, you're going to have all of those that everybody has and now I'm going to add one more trial that you're going to have that other people won't have. If you are going to go ahead and follow me on my account and, and allow me to live through you, you're going to have one called persecution. People are going to revile you and hate you and say things against you where the other ones don't have that. So we're adding one more to you. And, and so let's look at the word persecution here. We're not going to go into the other types of sorrows and suffering so much. We're going to talk about the one that's here, and that's persecution. And the word persecution is an interesting word. Uh, it says to pursue or to pastor or to teach. Now, that's an interesting thing. It's a compound word, and it means to, to pastor somebody, to teach somebody, to instruct somebody. But there's another part of that word that means to hunt down, to go after, to pretty much heckle sometimes. And that the picture is that if... Uh, Donovan, you're up here talking and you're saying some things that God told you and those things happen to be contrary to what I believe, then I'm going to go ahead and kind of try to say things against you and discredit what you're saying. I'm going to go ahead and come against you and discredit that. I remember years ago, about 20 years, 25 years ago really, uh, God had put on our heart to travel at Christian Life Ministries into a lot of the churches in our area and to present some truths of the grace of God as opposed to people living under law. Uh, I, we were welcomed quite well, and uh, I had just hired a new staff that came on, and I felt that this guy had some gifts, and so uh, I said, I, I'd like you to start traveling and doing some of the speaking, and his name was Pat Karn. And, uh, and so Pat decided, good, and Pat did well to... Uh, pretty much unveil this uh, message and to kind of help share it. But he had one guy that just absolutely tormented him. And everywhere he went, uh, this guy would show up. I don't know how he even found out we were doing conferences, but he found out. And he would persecute him, and that was the word. He would pester, he would teach, he would try to make his words uh, not be acceptable. And it was hard on Pat. And we'd, we'd show up and say, well, did he show up again? Oh, good, he's not here. Nope, then he'd walk into the back. And he would heckle him. This is kind of the picture that we're looking at. This is a different type of persecution, but it is one that comes. Now, I do believe that that person was not the enemy. I think that he was used by the enemy, 
But as we see that we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, we're wrestling against these spiritual wickedness in high places and these dominions and principalities. So I think the enemy was, was doing that, but it was something that, that uh, was said that you can count on this coming. And it will come, not necessarily if you're out teaching all the time or preaching, but sometimes in just the way you do things. You're going to have things you're going to do that's going to raise your, raising your children or your grandchildren, and you're going to do something, and you're going to be uh, criticized for it. I have six sons and daughter-in-laws that have accepted the fact that I will spank their kids. I know I'm rare uh, to, to let have six of them. They encourage me, hit him. No, hit him. Okay. <laughs> but I find that in some groups, uh, that's not accepted really well. Maybe even in this group. But I can be going ahead and be criticized for that. And in doing so, uh, that's one of the other types of sufferings or persecution that comes on us. Now, we have an enemy, and that is Satan, and Satan is going to work through one of three different places. He's going to work through your own flesh patterns that you have well developed in your, in your soul. That's a lot of the belief systems that you have formed and the flesh tendencies that you have, which is to try to get life the way you want life to be apart from God. In a nutshell, Solomon says, it is trying to make something give you more than it was designed to give you. And in doing that, in attempting to do that, you are going to find a lot of pain. You have the world system, and that's just the whole world in its design apart from God. A world operating apart from God is going to be your enemy. And, and it's easy to get caught up in the things that the world is telling you will give you life. And then you have Satan also controlling the spiritual dominions and principalities and powers and demons that somehow are still going to shoot attacks at you and arrows at you. And they'll shoot them mostly in your mind. And so we have this war going on. And it's important that we not only understand we have it going on, and I'm not here to tell you you're going to have some trials. If you've been alive, you're having trials. If you haven't, you should check your pulse. Okay. They just come and go. They come and go. But I'm here to tell you that we want to look at and see what are we supposed to do? What's our reaction supposed to do when these persecutions come? I think that's to me, is extremely important. I went last night down to the exchange because Boomer was uh, speaking on these two verses. I, I went for a couple reasons. I, I always go down to make sure if I'm not going to be saying things totally contrary to what Boomer's saying and seeing if the Lord has revealed similar things to each of us. I believe the word is clear. It only has one interpretation, and the Holy Spirit knows what it is. Uh, to my uh, joy, we were saying the same thing. And matter of fact, it's interesting, uh, we even were given the same illustration of the same martyr that was put in there. And I'll tell you a little bit about that. So it was kind of cool. But I also went down and I say, before I go in here, God, I know I want to be here to hear, but I do know that you have a message for me today. That what are you wanting me to walk away with? 
so that I won't just hear words and say, ah, oh, good job, boomer, or, you know, whatever. I want to know what are you doing in my life here today. And I ask you this, to ask yourself this, and I want to give you some freedom. I believe the way I have seen God work most all the years of being a believer uh, in people's lives at conferences or in church is that God begins to open up something in Scripture and he is going to put his finger on something that I am going to reveal to you today. I encourage you, don't race by what he puts his finger on. Don't think you have to keep listening to me. What I'm giving you permission to do is shut me out if God's working in your heart on something. Does that make sense? It's like reading a chapter of the Bible and you're reading through and all of a sudden you get to a verse and it just stands alive. Don't just keep reading the rest of the chapter thinking you have to finish it so you can say you finished the chapter. Dig in and let God speak to you. Whatever he's trying to do, let him speak to you today. I am way more interested in what you are going down this hill with in your mind and in your heart and that it somehow affects the way you live, not just that you heard something. That is my prayer every time I come here is, God, I can give words here, but I want something that carries with it a power that somehow is noticeable, which we'll be seeing later on in the Sermon on the Mountain, that there's somehow a light, your assault, that somehow it makes a difference. We're even going to say today, as you go through persecution, there's two verses that we're going to look at that says, you were called for this purpose. And how you respond to your persecution is going to have a great testimony before God. I'm not worried about men at this point. We're even going to get to a place that I I found really shocking that God says, this finds favor with God. That means, Corky, when you respond properly, God's saying, thanks. That is awesome. I'm grateful for your response. That's hard to believe, but it's true. It's true. So let's look at how are we to respond and, uh, and, and begin to see Who's our example of responding? So let's take a look at 1 Peter. And we're going to look at uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. And we're going to look at verses 18 through 23. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is there when you sin and you're beaten for it and you endure it? But what if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure it? This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called. It's interesting, the the other versions say this is your purpose of calling. Because Christ also suffered for you. He left you an example so that you would follow his steps. Remember this, he committed no sin at all. Neither was any deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who would judge righteously. 
he gives you a pattern to follow. He gives me a pattern to follow. And <clears throat> I, I want to see if somehow we can grasp a little of this today. Uh, one of the illustrations Boomer used last night was uh, a man called uh, Wormbrand. And uh, he was an incredible uh, man. He was a martyr. He was in, is it Hungary? No, where? Romania. And he, was, he wrote a book called Tortured for Christ. And I've read a lot of a lot of people tortured uh, for, for the kingdom. Uh, some, for some reason, God just lifted this man uh, up into my heart when I was young and I was reading about him. And he really, really let me almost feel uh, what he went through to some extent. It wasn't just all of the physical, physical, terrible things that they did to him, which were, you know, couldn't even repeat up here. They just are yucky. Uh, they even tried to get him to break by uh, stripping skin off of somebody in front of him that he loved. And all the things that this man went through. Well, my grandmother and actually my sister were at, he, he came to Rapid City uh, when I was younger. I was in my teens and uh, he presented some of the things and it was interesting after the first service my sister said you know I got out of him he just the silence was disturbing to him for the longest time and I said you know what amazed me in that is that how in the world did this man go through that type of pain and that type of persecution that type of sorrow and that type of suffering and rejoice. How did Paul, when he was in prison being beaten, said, I, I rejoice, and again I say rejoice. Seven times in the book of Philippians he says, just rejoice and find joy. And I remember saying at that time, I want to somehow reach that point that he has reached that in the midst of those types of things that there can be just this somehow joy that comes out of me. He struck me with that. I, it wasn't going to be till a long time later till God would at least open my eyes to see at least some of the steps and some of the ways that I might be able to rejoice in my persecutions and my trials. But I remember it stuck in my mind. How in the world do they do it? Because in the scripture, it says you don't just endure, you leap for joy. You rejoice. The word literally is like a lamb that skips and skips. Yesterday morning, I was looking out my window, and I saw these deer, and it might have been the fact that finally the snow's gone, but they were just leaping and jumping, and I said, isn't this interesting? They're like the little teeny kids uh, out here playing. That's what he's saying is the picture. He's saying that this how, somehow should be your response. Well, you're not going to just tough it up and get this response, I assure you. When your darling spot, and what I call the darling spot is that which you have given your heart to, that's what is, is your treasure, when that gets threatened and when that begins to be taken, it is amazing. We squirm like crazy. And I, I think God says, I'm mindful in Psalm 103. I'm mindful that you're but dust or you're but human beings. I realize that somebody has just put their finger on your darling spot. 
Or maybe God has put his finger on your darling spot. And I think he lets us squirm for a while. Have you ever noticed that? I, I haven't got down the fact that sooner that happens, I jump into joy because I immediately try to fix everything. I'm a fixer that really doesn't get anything fixed. <laughs> I try. And after I've come to my wit's end, and like it says in Isaiah chapter 57, Bill, aren't you tired by the length of your road? Why do you keep trying to go back to your own strength? And so, as we look here, what is it that's going to help us? What is it that's going to give us uh, some freedom here? That we can look at Jesus' response and, and begin to follow. What did he suggest? And in doing so, we're going we're to end with that. I want to talk to you about a story. And uh, I don't know if I have all the facts exactly right, but it's found in 2 Kings chapter 4. And uh, it's about a Shunammite woman. And it says she was a very good, uh, high-valued woman. And what she did is her and her husband, whenever the man of God, which was Elijah, by the way, she doesn't refer to him as Elijah. She always refers to him as the man of God. And she had some room up in the attic, and she said, you know what, to her husband, let's build a place for the man of God that will have a bed and a desk and a lamp and a table, and let's offer it to him every time he comes through that he can have a place that he can call his own. And so she did, and she did that quite frequently, and obviously it must have been quite routine. And Elijah talks to his servant, uh, Jehaziah, is that how you pronounce his name? Gezai, I don't know, his servant, <laughs> and says, find out what the, the, the woman needs. She doesn't tell him what she needs. She doesn't complain about some things, which were obviously she could have. She says, I am just among my people. So he goes back and he tells Elijah, he says, she's without child. So Elijah comes, and Elijah goes ahead and prays for her and says, at this time next year, you will have a child. And she says, don't kid with me. It's the one thing I ask you, don't kid with me. Sure enough, she bore a child. And years later, as the child grew up, uh, the child was out working in the field with, with uh, his dad. And as he's working, he goes, oh, my head, my head just aches. Do a little bit more work. Oh, my head aches. My head aches. And so they said, well, you need to go back. So they sent him back to his mother. And he laid in his mother's lap as she began to go ahead and, and, and take care of him the best she could. And he died in her lap. And she tells her servant and her father, says, take the boy and bring him up to the room that we made for the man of God. Then she says, and then get a servant and get the donkey because we're going to go now and we're going to go to the man of God. So she heads to, to the man of God and Elijah's servant sees her coming and, uh, and says, what is it? It's, you know, ask her if it's well with you. Is it well with your husband? Is it well with the boy? You know what she says? It is well. Translation in the King James, it is well with my soul. It is well with the boy. It is well with my husband. 
Sounds kind of like a weird answer when the boy's dead upstairs. So she goes to grab Elijah's leg as the man of God, and his servant says, get away. He says, don't ever get away. So he says to his servant, take the staff, and I want you to take the staff and go with the woman back to the place. And he says, because I can tell the woman's soul is troubled, and it's not been hidden from me. Interesting thing. The songs that Tom picked out today so remind me of the words that this gal, she, she knew something Elijah didn't even know. Elijah was going to send his servant with a staff, and she says, no, I will not go. You are to come. The man of God is to come. But the servant went ahead anyway, went back, went upstairs, laid the staff down on the boy, prayed for the boy, and the boy remained dead. Comes there, and he says, the boy is dead. Now, as you read this, you're going to see this girl or this lady is not fretting at all. This lady is not at all, uh, all upset. She knew something that even Elijah did not know. She knew that as long as the presence of God was there, that everything was going to be okay and she could rejoice. That's why she could answer the things she answered. And sure enough, Elijah goes upstairs, lays down on the boy, puts his mouth to his mouth, his eyes to his eyes, his hands to his hands, and breathes. And the boy is now warm and he comes to life. She knew it because of the presence of God. There's an author called Catherine Marshall, and she says, uh, <clears throat> when life hands us situations and circumstances that we do not understand, we have one or two choices. We can wallow in misery, separate ourselves from God, be angry at him, defend ourselves when we're gossiped against. We can return insults when people insult us, we can plan vengeance. Or we can tell God, I need you. I need you and your presence in my life more than I need any release from this or any understanding. I choose you. I trust you to give me understanding as you choose to give it. But I will settle for you. If you go back to the beginning of us talking about the word blessed. The word blessed literally means to have the presence of God. And it brings a full satisfaction in your life. This is what Jesus is telling them even at this point. Blessed are those that are persecuted. Realize the presence and the fullness of God with you in this situation. And if you really embrace that, really begin to take hold of that, a natural response will be the life of God and the fruits of the Spirit, which the first of the fruits is love and joy is going to come out. Joy will begin to come out of you because of your embracing God. You can't go home in the midst of a fire and a trial and try to do what he has just said to do. It's impossible. But I like the testimony that he says that following his steps. He had done nothing wrong, and he did not revile. He did not criticize those against him. 
He didn't try to get even. He didn't try to reduce or slander the name of those that were criticizing you. He just kept entrusting himself to the one who deals righteously and the one that inhabited his life at that time. You see, Jesus was so fully aware of the blessedness of the Father in him. If you don't think so, read John uh, 17, John 16, that I and the Father are one, and that as he is in me and I am in him, that you will learn to be in me and I in you as he was in me. He tells Philip, just understand this, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father because the Father and I are united together as one. He was so fully aware of that that even in the midst of all of the pain and troubles that he went through, somehow he could leave us this testimony to follow in his steps that we have no option but to let that life begin to flow out of us. I find it interesting that he says you were called for this purpose. My prayer has been for Rimrock with the different trials and tribulations that come in and out of every congregation that I've seen over the 47 years of ministering. You have congregations that will either revile in return, criticize, complain, become bitter, become angry, begin to separate themselves, or you'll have those that will embrace this as the hand and the love of God, and you'll begin to leap for joy and be grateful. And, and it's, it basically it says, get giddy because the presence of God is inhabiting this situation. When I have seen that happen, people are drawn to that congregation of people because they're drawn to God. And that is my prayer, that you and I would begin to respond that way and that we would be able to go ahead and do that. And in doing so, this is where we get to the place that God says, this finds favor with God. Thanks. I'm grateful, Corky, for the way you responded. Can you believe God would say that to us? That's what the word means. Thanks for responding that way. Pray with me, would you? Father, it seems that wherever we turn, seems like whatever I'm studying from whatever book I look at, the story seems to somehow have the same conclusion. It's a story about you inhabiting us in the midst of any fire that you're there. It's a story that through it all, you inhabit us and it's not shaking you at all. As this song even says that even the waves and the wind, they know your name. They know that they were there for a purpose. That purpose is to reflect your life and your love. I pray that you would turn our hearts into hearts of joy in the midst of the persecution that comes as we follow out your desire. And we ask it in your precious holy name. Amen.